Recording in progress. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Pillars of Franchising. We're so glad you joined us today. We've got a great show for you coming up. But first, Ray, are you out there, Ray? Oh, we woke you up. I'm sorry, Ray. (laughs) Here I am. Yeah. So, so what's what what's up, Kristen? What's 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 the word? Well, the word today is that you get to sing happy birthday to Karen Kinsey Swartz. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> where is she? She's not here. You know where Karen is? She's in Florida on a girl's trip for her birthday. Wow. Okay. And and I get to sing happy birthday to my my dog as well. Her birthday is today. She's eight. Eight years old. That's like time seven yeah. fifty-six. Okay, that's getting up there. No, yeah. Well, we're not going to disclose Karen's age because I think she's twenty-eight again. And we have to give a special shout out today. I don't know what it is, but today, like everybody was being born today, even the dogs. But a special <laughs> shout out to Dale on Dewey, who's been following our our show here. Since its inception, so happy birthday to you, Dale, out on Dewey Lake in Michigan. And really, that's the lightest, funnest word on the street. So I'm just waiting for you to sing. Well, you're gonna join me? Oh, I don't sing. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm not that good. <laughs> I just want to see if you'll do it, really. <laughs> All right, here we, here we go. Okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear. Karen, Mocha, and Dale. Oh, hell no. That is awesome. I had no idea you could sing like that, Ray. I'm going to call on you more often. Uh, Oh, no, please. (laughs) Now, without further ado, we're going to take a quick break, let you get a quick drink of water for your uh, throat there since you just did a nice belting of the happy birthday song. And then we're going to be right back with uh, Chris Stonis with Elite Window Cleaning. Cannot wait to talk to him. And you know who's back again this week, thank goodness we didn't lose him again, is Jerry Akers. So we've got a great show coming up right after this. Hey, franchise owners. How's your local marketing Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, ad placement, and customer data intelligence, We'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. 
We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a Y.com. Hey, you caught me standing myself there, Ray. Did you see that? I was like, whoop. <laughs> Welcome back to Pillars of Afro- uh, Franchising. I cannot get it out today. Uh, we'd like to welcome Chris Stonis, the CEO of Elite Window Cleaning. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. It's really nice to be here. And, uh, yeah, as a, as a you know, longtime watcher and have had friends on your podcast. And uh, I just got to say this is, this is a true pleasure. So thanks. We're so glad they didn't scare you away. They didn't. Nothing but the best uh, referrals here. <laughs> awesome. Ray, how about if you talk to Chris about his awesome history before cleaning windows? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as, as we were talking a little bit before the show, uh, I myself was in high tech, and I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. And Chris has the same feeling, and that's why he has gone into the business he has gone into. And I think you can explain that a lot better than I can. So go right ahead, Chris. Well, let me give it a shot. So, yes, um, in, the, in, the, in the backstage lounge of the, the Zoom universe, it did come up that uh, we, we both had a divergent path um, in our careers. Mine began in the music industry in the early 2000s, and uh, I had worked really my entire life um, to become an audio engineer. And I managed to get to the top of that industry. I was working in uh, Brian Adams recording studio in Vancouver, British Columbia, working with bands like, you know, artists, I guess, like Michael Buble and, you know, bands like ACDC. And I really felt as though I had kind of made it in that industry and realized that there was nowhere left to climb and there was nowhere left to go. And, and I had this kind of existential crisis in my life where I'd gotten everything I wanted and I wasn't getting the passion that maybe I thought I would at the offset. So I decided to leave that career and, and walk home because I was, you know, somewhat devastated um, that I was making this decision. And I saw a window cleaner washing windows in downtown Vancouver and I went, man, that guy looks like he has no worries in the world. There's windows everywhere for him to wash. Like, I'm just going to talk to him and ended up getting hired by the guy on the spot who I keep in contact with today. And I just, I fell in love with the industry. I fell in love with the opportunity. There was glass everywhere I looked, um, literally in every direction. And the industry, I had never heard of, there was no McDonald's, there was no Coca-Cola in the industry. And I just thought, man, this is, this is something that deserves my attention. And the more I looked, the more I saw opportunity, um, you know, the window cleaners were using the tools that were patented in the 1930s was when the squeegee was patented. And I just thought, this is something that I can continue climbing with. So I, oh. I followed okay. that dream. <laughs> so I think what I thought you say, thought I heard you say, was that you were doing recordings with Brian Adams, Michael Buble, ACDC. I'm sorry, but were you friends like, <laughs> dude, what the actual? Yeah, everyone in my life thought I'd lost my mind. 
Um, and, and I, you know, I, I just said, I, I need to follow my heart. I need to follow, I need to be passionate about what I'm working on. I need to, I need to continue to grow. And I, I didn't have space to grow there. So yeah, that was, you're right. Everyone thought I'd gone crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like talk about a thunderstruck type moment, right? No pun intended. Like where somebody just sends you a bolt of energy that says you're doing the wrong thing. Right. <laughs> I, yeah. And, I, just, and I, I mean, okay. So are we happy now? Now do you feel fulfilled? I am. I love what I do. I love the industry that I'm in. I still you know, pride my roots in, in the industry, but I also found through creating a bunch of technology and growing that technology, I found franchising and it was just, you know, it's what I'm put on this earth to do is I love to climb. And now I get to climb myself and I get to help owners and friends and, you know, all these people we build these relationships with climb their own, you know, mountain. And it's, it's an amazing thing. Um, Yeah. to that is when reading about your company you don't really climb ladders we do not climb ladders no we we uh yeah we're climbing (laughs) mountains but yeah we uh we developed a a technology that allows window cleaners to wash up to six stories with perfect results without the use of ladders from the ground and it's just totally disruptive for the for the industry it's it's uh taken 11 years to perfect or you know 10 years to perfect and here here we are today with uh with really the future of the industry and, and no one's really taking it um outside of our franchising no one's looking at it so the disruption opportunity in the window cleaning space is just it's unbelievable right now well i have to tell you when i was looking up elite window cleaning it i uh was really couldn't believe how interested i was well first of all 17 years ago, I got really interested in cleaning toilets, so it shouldn't come really as a surprise, but I got super interested in cleaning windows, and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. My first response in my head was, oh boy, insurance costs, right? Because you've mm-hmm. got guys, in this case, you don't really have people necessarily on ladders, but that's usually a real prickly point for me when I look at a window cleaning company, because most of them are on ladders. Mm-hmm. How, tell me a little bit about that. So when we removed the, the, the risk, we also removed the insurer's risk. So our insurance across the board in both Canada and the U.S. is like, you know, standard to what you would expect. There isn't, there isn't a crazy, you know, premium. Whereas if you were um, a regular window cleaner, of course, there would be yeah. a, a fall risk and your premiums would be higher. So it gives yeah. us you know, it bakes in just another competitive advantage of being a technologically focused business. You know, we're efficient on the tools. We're unbelievably efficient because we don't have to climb up and down ladders. Yeah. But we also have other things working in our unit economic favor. Like, like you just brought up, the insurance is lower for us than our competitors. Therefore, we have more margin and can be competitive on price at the same time, which is very, very rare, obviously, when you're looking at unit economics you want to make sure you're stacking everything and getting that full picture. So am I correct in, in, in making the assumption, we know what that does, but that these are W-2 employees then, or are they, so many window companies use contractors because of that insurance? No, they, they are employees, yeah, for sure. They are employees, and the, the cool part about what we've built here um, as it relates to employees is we've removed the broad shoulders and brute strength 
So now we can hire on customer service aptitude. And that is like in a home service business, that's everything. You know, you're only as good as the last customer interaction. And so we can cater the customer experience because we've taken out, you know, we can now, we can now have employees across the entire segment of the population. You know, we're about 51% female on the front lines. And I would say like largely probably the, only window cleaning company in North America that can boast a stat like that. It's, yeah. it's really leveled the playing field and our techs love it because it's, it's, you're outside, it's, it's a clean job. It's, yeah. you know, it's really surprisingly in this market, um, easy to find great people because it's a great place. It's a great opportunity. Well, and that I'm going to take the words out of Ray's mouth. I know he wants to ask the question. It's his favorite question, mm-hmm. but that to me means that the key aspect of once you can get people because you have such a broad uh, spectrum of people to choose from to clean, it's really down to like creating a culture mm-hmm. of, in, of belonging for these folks to want to stay. What is what do you do to to get oh, 50% wow. female cleaning windows? I mean, that's not a typical statistic. No, it's not. It's definitely not. And, uh, it, it, you know, it's probably even more than that at this time of the year because um, we've just, we, our staffing changes throughout the year. But yeah. how, we, how we get people to stay and how we build culture is pretty simple. Like our core values are perfect windows, happy technicians, and delighted customers. And everything we do has to tick all three of those boxes. So we have amazing incentive programs for upsells or for reviews for our employees where we tip them on the customer's behalf when they get a review. And wow. we do all kinds of things that drive a behavior, but more job satisfaction. And we, we incentivize it. And it's amazing. We have a really young staff. I, I mean, in the age spectrum, most of our staff are under 26, but they stay for, you know, they'll come in at 18 years old in the most transient position in their life and they'll stay for three, four or five years because we've built this culture. And the other thing that we do is because there's so many technicians that are remote across the country, we create Slack channels and, 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 you know, conversations amongst peers that can share the same experience, you know, a window cleaner in Halifax, Nova Scotia and in Jacksonville, Florida, really do have the same experience being an elite window cleaner or a sparkle squad window cleaner, which we'll get into is the brand we're launching in the U S and we've created this bond of this peer to peer network within our staff that just reinforces that, you know, if it, if if it wasn't an awesome place to come to work, I wouldn't either. So let's make it, you know, let's make it a great place to come every single day. And that's what it's all about, you know, because uh, Mm -hmm. most people, who uh, lose their jobs don't necessarily uh, standpoint of losing their income. They think of it about, about their environment and the friends that they have. And, yep. you know, that's more devastating than losing, than, you know, losing everything else. Yeah, yeah. you're totally right. And, and that's a real guiding focus for us. That's so cool. I, I actually had to private message uh, Ray and I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's singing our song because in our business we have high turnover kind of a transient, like who really wants to spend, you know, six hours a day leaning over bathtubs and toilets and literally, in some cases, breaking your back to do this work. But lo and behold, if you create an environment where they feel like they're part of it, mm-hmm. that right. isn't an issue. Right. And so I yeah. think that's awesome. Hats off to you for being able to do that. Oh, yeah. That's not <laughs> easy. 
Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's not easy, but it's certainly, I think, the most fulfilling part is is building the Very team. Rewarding. You know, Very in our development process, we, we really look for people that can be great leaders because this industry is so fractured market to market to market. Like the market leaders are ma and pa's in most markets in Canada and the United States. Yep. And so what happens is, when you put on all these modern systems, it's, it's a pretty quick road to being market dominant. Like that's what we continue to see really, really quick. And what that means is our franchise owners need to be great team leaders. And so in the, in the vetting process of a franchise owner, one of the things we're looking for is can this person inspire a team? Because if we're talking a market, you know, I said Jacksonville a second ago. So if we're talking about Jacksonville, Florida, we know that's going to be a massive business. And they're going to have a big team and they need to be the person to inspire their team and, to, you know, live our core values. Yeah. Well, that actually is, is right on point with where I wanted to go. I mean, obviously, you know, at your corporate office and, and there in the, the elite window cleaning arena, you have great culture. How, mm-hmm. how are you anticipating? Because just on Monday, right, hot off the press, Monday, you are now a U.S franchise under the label of Sparkle Sparkle Squad. Yep. Awesome. And that is a part of the Happy Nest brand, which, Mm -hmm. so for those of you who listen on a regular basis last week, uh, we had Andy Fuller from Mosquito Hunters, and a couple weeks prior to that, we had Eric Martin on with Happy Nest Brands um, in their development group. And I have to tell you, I mean, the things you're saying are so similar to that culture that Andy talks about and the culture Mm -hmm. that um, Eric talked about, it's really great knowing that you're just now coming into the U.S. and you all seem so perfectly aligned. Yeah. What is your strategy to find people here in the U.S. that embody the same type of culture that you're looking for? Well, I think, uh, you know, in, in a roundabout way, I think you answered that. And, and how I'll, how I'll rephrase it is, um, we joined happiness. Well, let me even go back one step further. I built this from the inside out, from the industry level, and I developed technology and systems that just deserved franchising. It deserved market share and because it's just better than status quo. And so from the inside out, we figured out how to franchise. We figured out how to do all these, you know, impossible things really in hindsight, but we got there. Um, but we weren't looking externally, you know, an acquisition path was never really on our radar. In fact, we would bat them down quite frequently. And then one came along from Happiness. And I remember after the, I took the call, somebody said to me, you really got to take these guys call. They're cut from the same cloth. Like, I know you're not interested in being acquired, but you really got to talk to these guys. And so I met Scott Frith, the chairman and CEO of Lawn Doctor. And uh, I was like, wow, this we're the same person. Like we have the same values. We have the same, the same mechanisms that drive us. So how we find culturally aligned people is we aligned with our development team, understand who is going to fit me. You know, Sharon Kupak leads our development, Eric Martins, the SVP. And, you know, I just got, I just was in Toronto with them a, a couple of weeks ago and they're just, they understand and the whole happiness organization is kind of built around this culture of understanding. So that was kind of, I I thought if if I'm going to do it with anybody, this is, this is the group because we're just the intrinsic alignment. And then 
Sharon knows, you know, we, we have kind of a no jerks policy around here and Sharon knows in the development process, if somebody is just not the right fit and we're, we're pretty oh. choosy. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's important to, to make sure that as our brand grows and continues to grow so rapidly, we, we, we align with the right people. We get wind in our sails. We align with the wrong people and, and the wind kind of dies down a little bit. So yeah. that's kind of, you know, it, it's all the pieces coming together that create this ecosystem. Like there was no plan for mosquito hunters like Andy, myself, Scott, and uh, Rachel from Ecomades yeah. just to be so similar. It just, you know, we, there's magnetism there. Yeah. That's awesome. So for people who are like, okay, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. It sounds really good. I could totally buy into this. What do they need to have? How do you set up your territories? What do they cost? Can you get into some nuts and bolts for us? Yeah, for sure. So um, we have two different models, elite window cleaning in Canada, uh, legacy brand, you know, we're coast to coast. And then we have Sparkle Squad in the U.S. So a, a cool thing about launching in the U.S. for me personally is, I got to refine these systems over 11 years in Canada and I got to perfect them and I got to bake them. And now I get to go into the most franchise friendly, you know, country in the world with a fully baked system in a hundred percent white space. So that's pretty darn, you know, rare and lucky. And I, I, I don't, you know, ignore the fact that that is, that is a true stroke of, uh, of genius and on Scott's part to, to yeah. look for, that much white space in a brand, but in Canada, um, our territories are, or our initial startup costs, everything in is 102 to 120 and territories are 40, $40,000. Um, and then we have a $10,000 uh, first responders, military visible minority discount. Cool. And it's the same in the States for, um, for Sparkle Squad. So, okay. it, so you're in the ballpark, you could say 150-ish to get in and get started in Canada, 102 to 120, and okay. in Sparkle Squad, uh, 133 to 146, and that okay. is with your first year marketing. We do a really big centralized marketing push in your first year, like crazy, crazy big marketing push, awesome. and um, all your tools, all your prep, your onboarding, your training, everything is in there and ready to go out of the box. So it is by the time they're done training, we're boots on the ground and this thing's moving. That's wow. super cool. Super yeah. cool. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, uh, it's really exciting. Do you have some target markets that you really want to get into first and foremost? Wow, that is a big question for the United States. There are so many markets. The cool thing about this business is it fits, you know, our flagship location that that really does, you know. It's franchising, so I, I can't say without an FDD the revenue, but it is a really big business. It's in a city with 160,000 population. And so this business fits mid-sized markets. It fits large markets. There's windows everywhere. There is glass everywhere you look. There, Every city has residential glass and then commercial glass. And we focus pretty heavily on both those channels, okay. um, you know, from hospitals to retirement homes to HOAs to condiment yeah. small condominiums to residential homes all those windows need to need to be washed and we've built a strategy that you know goes in each of those verticals okay yeah so market wise I would say I to answer your question 
there's glass everywhere and there's window cleaners everywhere. So I don't, I, I'm, we're ready for whatever market uh, brings the best, you know, owner forward. So you're in Canada, your weather yep. is very similar to what Ray and I deal with. Ray loves it. I hate it. What do you anticipate? I mean, you take a market like Florida, right? They're cleaning windows 365. Yep. You take a market like Chicago, New York, it's a little yep. different weather. How yep. do you model it out? for the northern states versus the southern states? So our model was built in northern climates. So yeah. the profitability was designed around that kind of 40-week season, you know, 35 okay. to 40-week season. But we there's two types of owners that we've found. There are owners who want the lifestyle flexibility of a 40-week season. So in our system, it's kind of almost it's close to half and half, um, maybe a little more on the seasonal, where they just, they have a really profitable year and then they roll up the carpets and, you know, last winter, one of them was in Guatemala for the winter. One of them went, you know, somewhere else there, they just kind of take off and they come back in the spring. And then we have your, your other type of owner who's that empire builder who wants to, yeah. you know, crush through the, through the entire 12 month cycle in the off season, we have post-construction window cleaning. So that really ties into uh, the cycle of our, so they dig the hole in the spring, they build the frame in the summer, they close it in the fall, and then they, they occupy in the winter. So we yeah. do a ton of post-construction work in December, January, February. There's a ton of commercial activity that still happens. So it's really kind of, for the owner, they, they get the luxury of kind of two streams. So that's our strategy up north. And our strategy down south is, you know, not wholly different. It, it's just more... 12 months aggressive and, sure, yeah. and you know you're focusing on all those things at all points of uh, throughout the calendar so i know you can't say directly specifically and and a lot of people don't realize that that you can't cite a specific margin that you wind up with but that's right work are you talking like 10 to 20 20 to 30 what, what do you uh, think the margin should be around this kind of business well let me let me tell you what we coach to um and 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 people can kind of work this out um we coach to a 30 30 wage percent 30 to 31 in the first year we coach to 40 um while people are kind of learning their business but we want to get you 30 to 31 percent wage percentage and if you think about what we do without consumables um you can kind of start to draw the the profitability of this business yeah. from that so that's that's kind of the best I, I can do without getting myself in, in hot that's water. Okay. That's um, okay. All you out there, jot that down. 30 yeah, but it does paint the picture. Good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, a, then, we're a human calories business. We sell, we sell labor, right? So yeah. um, right. we don't have consumables. We use water. You know, you buy your, your equipment up front with the, with the franchise, and then your biggest P&L line item throughout the year will be your labor. So we coach, you know, get that as close to 30 as possible, as quick as possible. And then this thing just continues to spin and grow. And we reinvest. A lot of our owners add at least one second vehicle in their first year um, okay. because demand's pushing them. You know, we run a four-week um, forecast for them, and we watch their demand. And we know all the triggers, and we just say, "Hey, you're coming up the curve. You're 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 ready for your second vehicle, third, fourth, fifth, and so on." Um, okay, big overhead costs. Do you typically go with brick and mortar? And if it's brick and mortar, I assume you don't necessarily need storefront per se, right? So typically we don't go with brick and mortar because we have designed this system. We call it all, we call it the job pod and it's all the tools on four wheels. 
So every single thing that a, a technician needs to complete an entire workday is housed within the van and they are, they are ready to go. So we have a, across our system, you know, as many different people as we, we have, as many different strategies we have with their assets. Some of the owners uh, rent a um, storage locker and some parking and they meet uh -huh. their crews there. Other owners have the crew leaders take the vehicles home at night. Others, you know, have, we have an owner with uh, with a small warehouse, but like as, as far as it goes, that cost kind of scale, doesn't really start to scale up until your business scales up. When you have, you know, six plus vehicles on the road, you know, that that's a pretty big business and yeah. you're probably going to have a small warehouse where your crew meets and there's a coffee machine and, you know, you're, you're getting started for your day. Yeah, that's the culture building, right? Yeah, for sure. Come in, get warm before you give them their list that's this long. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Ray, I know you're dying to ask some questions because I've been pinging you going, hey, what do you think? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like, sounds like an exciting business to get into and with very low overhead. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, speaking that uh, Kristen and I are uh, essentially in the same business, uh, our, our product is labor, yeah. and uh, and we pretty much it's, it's different than janitorial, but what, what we do, but it, it, I don't know, it's it sounds really fascinating. I I, I think the fact that you have some proprietary equipment is that correct or or, or not? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's made in our manufacturing facility in New Jersey. So, you know, it doesn't have a patent on it because that was just not possible with the type of equipment we use. Um, mm -hmm. But it is cut, everything is custom tip to toe manufactured in New Jersey. And, you know, it extends beyond the window cleaning. So we looked at the main services that we do across, you know, across the brand and we went, what are window cleaners doing and how can we optimize it? So window cleaners do gutter cleaning as well. They clean out your gutters, you know, in the oh, spring okay. fall. Okay. And status quo is climb a ladder, dig out the gutter, climb a ladder, mm -hmm. you know. And so we developed this gas-powered, you know, I guess vacuum on steroids um, that uses carbon fiber, uh, hollow carbon fiber tubes and a camera at the top. And we can gutter vac out an entire house, like filled to the brim with muck in 15, 20 minutes where, wow. and, and because we do it with a camera, we're able to give the customer before and after shots, like here's what's going on in your gutters. You know, maybe if there's something for them to pay attention to. And we have just taken, you know, one of the slowest, uh, highest dollar value um, services offered by people in our industry and yeah. just taken the, the profitability of it and just made it, you know, crazy because we're we're literally going around the house and sucking everything out of the gutter down to the ground and, and disposing of it that way. That's um, awesome. So, yeah, literally every touch has some sort of tech that we've we've did, we've developed in New Jersey. Now I thought there was also is there one other thing that you do aside from windows and gutters? Yeah, we have uh, we have a screen cleaner that we made that can wash all the screens on the home in a matter of minutes, and then we've developed a soft wash system that uses low pressure washer or a pressure washer, but dialed way back to low and it foams on a surfactant and you foam it on and rinse it off and you can clean the facade of a house in again, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, as opposed to a pressure washing company being there for, you know, four or six hours. Wow. wow. What a great way to take 
you know, a Sparkle Squad or an elite window cleaning client and really be able to expand the portfolio of services that you have. Yeah, yeah, it's been, you know, a, a big target for us is how do we grow the, the unit level economics for our franchise owners from, from day one? So you yeah. clean exterior uh, walls as well? As, Precisely, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. How do you clean a window through a screen? So generally, we would take the screen off. We would up, you know, our techs would upsell them on the okay. screen cleaning. That screen would come off. It'd go through the screen washer, and then we'd uh, wash the window okay. before reinstalling. Okay. okay. okay how about inside windows? Do you go inside the house? We sure do. Yeah. So okay. inside, we do inside windows and window tracks. We have a steamer that we use to clean out the window tracks, and then we wash all your inside windows as well. So we can basically take your house to a spa day and, and do the, do the whole, you know, oh, the whole everything. My house needs a spa day. Yeah. <laughs> I love that idea. And I bet you yeah. love it too. When you're talking to them about all the services they, they need. Yeah. We've been super intentional about how we present these services. Everything we offer is a la carte and everything is offered at flat rate pricing uh, by square footage. So mm -hmm. our conversion rate in our centralized call center is above 80% on incoming calls converted wow. into both jobs. And people go, well, you, people have that reaction. They go, wow, how is that possible? Mm -hmm. And what it is, is we have, nobody calls the window cleaner if they don't want window cleaning. That's, okay. that's number one. Yeah. And number two is we've removed all friction in the process. We've made everything totally flat rate, totally a la carte. The, the client picks exactly what they want and nothing that they don't want. The prices are reasonable because we built in efficiencies with the technology. So we're converting at, you know, 80 plus percent in the call center. And wow. then, you know, the techs are out there executing at 30% wage percentage. You kind of can start to see how these businesses scale up really, really yeah. quick. Yeah, that's awesome. And as we always talk about, right, right, it gives the business owner time to work on the business, not in the business. You got it. You so obviously it. we're doing more strategic things out in the um, community building relationships rather than sitting in an office answering the phone. So I think that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Is there anything that you haven't thought of? Uh, well, I, I, if, uh, if I haven't thought of it, I don't know about it yet because I like, this is all, I think all day long, we just aimed to, you know, you know, another good example of, of it was uh, about two, a year and a half ago, I was buying dog food from my bed beside my wife from Amazon. And I thought home services need a, a platform. Like I, we could, you know, we could sell our services if we served up ads. This is when I'm, I don't, you know, this is when I'm ready to buy it. The day's done, I'm relaxed. How do we position ourselves with that? And that was actually, you know, a big part of the flat rate pricing. Now across our system, 20% of all residential sales come in through our online booking engine. And of that 20%, half of them are after 9 p.m. So we're talking yeah. about 10% of total customers are coming yeah. through because we made ourselves available at, through the online booking engine. And, you I know, we're just. I can't even tell you the stuff I buy after 9 o'clock at night. Half yeah. the time, the <laughs> ring doorbell says, Amazon's here. And I'm like, what are they bringing? And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, I bought something on Amazon last night. And I can't tell you what it is, but I open the package. Yeah, and I'm like, oh. True. What is yeah. Yeah. Because I know, I've got some camera screens for my phone. I have no clue when I ordered them. 
<laughs> I don't even know what I paid. I mean, but that's what people do. You're right. You're tired. You lay down and you just start clicking around. So that is so cool. Okay. Last question for you. It's a big one. Okay. What are the top three items that you think are most important for um, potential franchisees to look at on your FDD? Potential franchisees to look at on our FDD. I would say um, number one would be the disproportionate value of having the the equipment package that is custom designed around the industry. I would say that okay. is that is really important um, because we're brand new in the United States. I would say all the entire um, history on Happy Nest the success path of all the other happiness brands because mm-hmm. we don't have uh, we don't have the ability to show performance. Okay, so, so you want to really look at the history of what they've done with other brands to understand with, where you're headed in the U.S. Okay. Good. Precisely. Good. And, um, geez, number three, I would say, in, and you asked about it earlier, again, um, how intentional the um, the territory building is. So we are really, really atten- intentional around our territory building. Uh, minimum uh, 35,000 target homes. And it's really designed around density and because route density equals profitability in a service business. So we really look at who are these target homes? Can this territory support a seven-figure business? Like that is, and, and the, the thought that goes in and the, the territory specs that we provide franchise owners, like, Nine times out of ten, they're going like, I didn't even know this about my my own territory, and it's oh, those yeah. lines are, you know, those lines are very intentionally um, where they are to maximize unit level profitability. So those would be my three. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much. I had such a great time learning about, of all things, window cleaning, and mm-hmm. the whole, you know, from thunderstruck to to glass cleaning. I just, it's so wild to me. I. I probably would have like wanted to check your temperature, but you can tell after this interview, like you really have a passion for what you're doing now. And, you know, whether it's building widgets, it's cleaning toilets, it's cleaning windows, it's really all about providing opportunity for you, your family, and obviously for all of the people who invest in your brand and their family. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, You nailed it. Yeah. I'm excited to see where you go in the U.S. I think it's a great, great opportunity, and we'll look forward to bringing you back. If people want to get in touch with you beforehand, um, obviously we'll have everything listed at the credits at the end of the show and posted on our website. But what's the best way to reach you or someone in development if they're interested in um, exploring the opportunity here? So the best way to uh, would to check us out would be um, SparkleSquadFranchising.com would be okay. uh, for the U.S. and EliteWindowCleaningFranchising.ca in Canada. Everything you need to know is there. A link to all our socials if you want to, you know, stress test what I've been saying about culture. It's loud and proud on our on our socials. And uh, I hope if this, you know, if this resonated with anybody, I, I really hope to 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 meet you because I am passionate. You you called it. I, I love what I do. I'm, I couldn't imagine doing anything else, and I. Can't wait for the next chapter in uh, in the growth of these businesses. Oh, so excited for you, Chris. Thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you again soon because as we start plotting you across the U.S., it'll be really exciting to hear how, how things are going for you. I would love to be a regular guest. <laughs> awesome. Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, guys.
are you, my friend? 50 graduates resulting in seven new franchisees owning eight franchise brands, more than a dozen skilled graduates who are employees of franchise companies, all of them having earned a concentration in franchising exclusively granted by the Titus Center at Palm Beach Atlantic University, plus more than 80 franchise professionals on our advisory board. The Titus Center for Franchising is on fire in West Palm Beach, Florida. What do you need to join us? My students want to hear from you. They may even want to buy your franchise or work for your company. TitusCenter.com. I'm always excited to see John talking about the Titus Center. How are you, Jerry? I'm doing so good, Kristen. And I got to tell you, can we just go back and talk to Chris? Because he's so darn interesting. I just want to hang out with him for a while. Who knew windows were so interesting? I know. And, you know, I've got two thoughts. Let me just add these before we get into anything else. Number one, kudos to you for coming up with Thunderstruck on the spot and putting that into your conversation. That was brilliant. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering how many people in the audience actually caught that when you did it, but I'm hoping they did because that was that spot on. One of my favorites. I can't help yeah. it. And, and then, of course, you know, you know, our little skipper in the background there had to find it and uh, put it yeah. on right away. So we well, it was, it was that or I would have to try to do a, a cut like a knife, Brian Adams, <laughs> right? Like that was one of my favorites in the 80s. I, and then Michael Bublé can't even begin because we talked before about the Christmas I, uh, album. And as much as I would like to start singing all that, it's just too damn early. It's not even October. So I can't no. go there yet. No, I get it. I was thinking of, uh, I was thinking of uh, the Robin Hood movie uh, that had Brian Adams' music in it, you know. When oh, we were yeah. About this, you know. Don't ask me the names. I'm terrible with names. Yeah, I know. I know. It's all good. Listen, I got one other comment, too. Um, What's that? Well, I was sympathizing with Chris a little bit when you were holding his feet to the fire about disclosing stuff from the FDD that he shouldn't be talking about. Well, I did say, like, listen, we, I know we're, we're going to talk right. ballparks. And he did a great job of saying, he well, did. let me tell you the answer without giving you the answer. Oh, yeah. Well, I was feeling his pain because I did an NP, NPR interview last week. Um, and uh, in the midst of it, they started asking about great clips uh royalty structure and national oh, marketing structure and you know i'm thinking well this is okay i can talk about this and i i went ahead and talked about it and the interviewer you know was gasping at the numbers and things like that and i go well that's common that's similar to most of the other brands out there yeah. so i was a little surprised an interviewer on franchising wasn't aware of that but then later on i'm uh, you know it literally as it's go going off i'm thinking wow should i have done that is that is that readily available information we were barely off of the interview, and I was Googling great clips, royalties, and stuff like that to make sure they were available out there because yeah. then if great clips, you know, leaders came to me and said, what the heck are you talking about, Acres? I could, I could yeah. defend myself a little bit. You know, the reality is if it's in the FDD, you can talk about it. If it's not, you can't. And the other piece is depends on the fine line you're walking. If you're, if you're talking to them as a franchise owner, like would be a validation call, Right. So if you want to call yep. and talk to me about Molly Maid, I disclose everything to you. And yep. probably the same if you call me, right? Different if I'm representing neighborly or the Molly Maid corporate and talking to a potential buyer. I don't have the right to tell them. Well, as a franchisee and a regional developer for the joint, imagine me talking to a prospective franchisee and going, which hat am I wearing now? How do I yes. walk this line? 
some of those things, you know. So yeah. uh, I, I just did that yesterday, and I'm feeling my way through it to make sure, because he's an engaged guy that had already gone out and find it, found an old FDD online. Oh. And so he's asking really detailed, you know, almost invasive questions. And I have to go, listen, dude, time out. Yeah. I want to talk to you about this. I know you already have looked at it, but until I get you to sign off of it and give you a cooling off period, I cannot engage yeah. in this. Well, and that's a good point, Jerry, to bring up, because people who are out there and, they're, and they've been doing their homework, which hopefully everybody has, right, even before you call um, a random franchisee, they may not be willing to talk to you just yet until they know you're truly in the process with, with the franchisor and you signed an NDA and everything's legit. Not everybody is as open about some of this information. The bottom line, most people want to know is, well, how much money can I make? Right. And right. it's like, dude, there is so much more to it than how much money you can make. And yeah. how much yeah. money you make the first year compared to the 10th year, totally different ballgame. Well, and you start talking about the quartiles, and they're totally lost because they have no idea what that means. Yes. And yes. put it in perspective for them. And for me, I make it regional, and I talk about different parts of the country and ebbs and flows and where yes. I usually look at in the quartile system. And you know, it gets very convoluted and complicated, and the average person tire-kicking franchising is yeah. unaware of all of that stuff. So, But that's not what you wanted to talk about today. It's well, you know, it's always good to talk to you about these things because I think our listeners and viewers, so hopefully everything we talk about makes a bit of difference to everyone. That's the goal. But I think we have, like, take two of what was going down in D.C., and some of the things that happened there, we have some more to talk about. Yeah, you know, and things have happened this week that are related to that. So we talked a fair amount about the California agreement that was put in place. Yeah. And uh, there are some, uh, there are a fair number of franchisees from California that are upset about the agreement because it raised minimum wages and some of those kinds of things, you know. And, and uh, as somebody uh, just today, actually, in conversing about this said, you know, uh, I kind of look at it like you're going to die. Do you want to be shot and make it quick or do you want to make it a really long term type thing and just take your time? But, um, you know, to further explain that uh, minimum. So, um, you know, the, uh, California put a, uh, a law in place that led to uh, joint employment and all kinds of things. and then. Several organizations, IFA, the National Restaurant Association, a group of people were able to get that uh, postponed with a write-in campaign to um, mandate that it was put on the ballot in 24, 25, whenever that ended up being. Uh, so that part of it was going to happen in some way, shape, or form, and it was going to cost, you know, a couple hundred million dollars for each side to you know, give their two cents and make sure that it was, you know, they had a chance to win. But you have no guarantees you're going to win. Um, also, there was already a baked-in agreement that uh, minimum wage was going up in the next few months to $18. And then I think it's 2024, it automatically goes up to 23 So what they ended up doing was negotiating going up to $20 an hour right now. Yeah. Which, again, as a franchisee, that's painful. So... I yeah. totally get it. I would I would freak out a little bit too. But the hidden thing here, which I touched on last week, is in the original bill there was going to be a council of about 15 uh, people yep. who uh, were unelected, were not business people, 
had nothing to do and no background in business that were going to make widespread decisions about employment in California. So they were going to come down with edicts as to how franchisees were going to deal with their employees. And that goes beyond minimum wage and some of those kinds of things. Yeah. It gets into benefits. It gets into paid days off. It gets into right. a long list of things that cost franchisees money. And with this agreement, we were, we were able to buy at least six years before any of those things come up again. There's still a council, but they're, right. they, they can only deal with the minimum wage part of it, and they only have a small percentage that they can be tweaking that. So as painful as it is, it was in all likelihood a pretty big win for franchising, at least for the next six years. Are they still doing tied into a $23 an hour minimum wage then in the next couple of years? No, no, okay. no. L literally, the council can move it. I think they've got a year and a half or two years before they can move it at all. And then yeah. it's, I want to say it's 5%, but don't quote me on that. I know somebody out there will now that I've said it, but uh, yeah. um, literally, it's a small percentage that the council can adjust it from this point on. So again, we have a six-year window yeah. where franchisees and franchisors can work on how they're going to deal uh, with this moving forward, whether this, you know, they, they uh, sign an extension to this agreement with some, you know, small adjustments to it, or whether we go back to the drawing board and, you know, the, the governor, government does what they do and, you know, we have to get it on the ballot and all those other things again. So again, it's not fun. It's not great, but it could have been way worse. Yeah. Well, you know, and I never want to get into that conversation about, you know, minimum wage was never meant to be, you know, designed to support a family and all the political nonsense that goes on around it. But, you know, I do think the one thing people often think when they go buy a McDonald's is, oh, it's McDonald's. They can afford it. But McDonald's isn't McDonald's. McDonald's are individual families who happen to own a brand and operate within already pretty tight margins. And so, you know, it's just like, it's, it's really hard because sometimes I have to remind even my own family, like, listen, you know, you want to know why a happy meal costs you $10 now? Well, here are some of the things that are happening, right? And it, it becomes a waterfall effect. So. Well, yeah. And Kristen, um, when I testified before Congress a few months ago, I actually brought that up. I said, you know, I, you guys are well-intentioned in some of these uh, things that you're coming down with that you know, help, supposedly help employees uh, because the McDonald's of the world are big and they can afford it and all those other kinds of things. But as a business owner, which most of you are not, right, right. in right. Congress, most of you have never owned a business. Some of you have never worked a real job. Yeah. But what I said was, as a business owner, our margins are already fairly thin. So whatever you regulate, however you tax me, all of those things, somebody else is going to pay the bill on that. Yeah. And it's probably going to be shared between my employees and the public. So in other words, my prices are going up. And in many cases, my employees will have to lose the benefit they currently have yeah. to pay for the new things that you guys have mandated. So yep. you cannot get ahead of the business curve. The businesses will figure out how to deal with it, just as our friends in California are going to have to do now. Well, I think some of that, you know, you just brought up a point um, about some of these changes and things. I think that also happens in the franchisor franchisee relationship. And, and Ray probably knows what I'm talking about because it struck a nerve with me. But I mean, even when you change a system with, within a system and a franchisor decides, oh, hey, now you're going to have to get this particular product from me. 
you can't go to the open market and shop the cheapest. This has to be ours. And it's really a minimum thing, right? Like, it's not like you could get ground beef a million different places. And I get it. We could get it. And this is just semantics, right? I'm just making an example. So you butchers out there, I don't want to know about choice and sirloin and blah, blah, blah. Okay. I'm just simply saying to require somebody to get something that is easily accessible that to the consumer, they would not know if you got it from store A or B or D or F, to require them to get from a franchisor and then eliminate the ability for an individual privately owned, though branded business is really kind of cutting them at the knee and forcing them to find money elsewhere, right? And like, well, I don't know, I'm, I'm probably the lousiest one in the system about raising prices because I go, wow, if I were the customer, I may not take that price increase. I yeah. may not pay $6 for two single patty burgers, right? But other people are willing to do it. And I think we have to really think about it's not just in the government. It's really kind of everywhere. Well, yeah, you hit it spot on. Um, and there, it only takes a couple I'll say bad franchisors who try and make a killing on some of those products that get passed along through the franchisee system to screw it up for everybody. The fact is there are some brand standard pieces, whether it's equipment or food or whatever it might happen to be, that really needs to be regulated and governed by the franchisor to ensure that every franchisee is following the system. But if they're going to make money on it, it needs to be a, a, a normal markup. It needs to be a small piece of the pie. Uh, and those that overreach on that or force you to buy stuff, like you said, that you can get other places, uh, they're, they're only causing themselves and, frankly, the franchise model issues long term. I, you know, I really thought you guys missed a, a chance in the uh, word on the street, although the birthday thing was pretty cool. And Ray's got a great tenor voice. We'll, uh, we'll get him and Mike Rowe together to that do it. <laughs> yes, that was priceless. But uh, I don't know if you know this, McDonald's just raised royalties for new franchisees coming in. And there is an uproar around that right now. Uh, but they haven't raised them for, I want to say, 30 years. So, and they were, in my opinion, somewhat low already. I mean, I know franchisees out there will hate me saying that. but uh, yeah. And it's only on new franchisees. The old ones are grandfathered in. So there are some pieces that are missing from the online conversations going on. But, but all of that comes back to what you're saying is that it, it doesn't have to be government. It can be franchisors that yeah. are causing some of this problem that we as franchisees have to deal with. Yeah, I'm curious on the McDonald's deal, and I have not read up on that yet, um, but I know I get my little QSR magazine coming in all the time. When you say they're grandfathered in, in most cases, though, they're only grandfathered in until a new renewal of an FDD, right? Yeah, which is yearly. That. Yeah, but... Yeah. I guess the point I'm trying to make is McDonald's has stated that the other, the, the existing franchisees are not impacted by that. We all know that the rest of that sentence is for now. Exactly. Yes. They just want to talk about when that'll change. And I respect that. I understand it. And it helps mitigate some of the bad publicity and stuff that they knew would come from this kind of an increase. Uh, but in fact, I got into a great online conversation with somebody related to this and, uh, you know, McDonald's is a is a um, a landlord. That's where they make a lot of their money, and they get they get a piece of the pie on everything that goes through there from their uh, vendors and so on. So, you know, there is there is, and I don't know enough of the inside details to really comment on it. 
but there's an argument that they're already making enough money. They don't need more royalties. So yeah. I'll be curious to see over the next few weeks, how much information comes to light about that. But, uh, but well, yeah. You know what, Jerry, we'll keep everybody posted on it because it's obviously like, like we've been uh, following Subway. I think McDonald's is a great story. And we've got some really big franchisees here in Chicago that I'd like to reach out to. And uh, yeah. If they talk to us a bit about it, because, you know, the one gentleman I know has got now 34, 35 locations. And so that's a really big deal. Yeah. So, now, Jerry, well, all these things we've talked about, tell me, is it still a good time to buy a franchise? You know, you haven't asked that for several weeks, and I've been, I've been saving up for it. Okay, Kristen? Yeah. You know, okay. in the world, there's always going to be, quote, unquote, bad things happening. and. Yep stress on your business and all those things. I don't care if you open your own standalone mom and pop shop or you buy a franchise or whatever, there's always going to be some of that. And as usual, I'm going to say it's still a great time to buy a franchise. And really right now, the only, you know, thing that some might, some people might find a little negative is interest rates are higher than they have been. So depending on how you're going to finance it, there, there may be some issues. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I will tell you this, I just had this conversation with the Great Clips uh, uh, VP of real estate today. You can't find retail real estate right now because it is yeah. so tight because there are so many people still from COVID and so on, leaving corporate America, buying franchise yeah. and so on. So I think the upside is, I don't know if it's ever been better, to be honest with you, because, uh-huh. I mean, labor is an issue. So okay. when you're looking well, at a franchise system, decide how much labor issue you want to fight with, you know. Yes, but, but overall, it's a good time. Overall, it's a great time. And I would buy it. Well, I am. I'm looking at others right now. So awesome. follow my lead. Thank you, Jerry. We can't wait to see you again next week. Always a pleasure, Kristen. Thank you. Thank goodness we cut that commercial short. I was just giving Fred the look of death. I'd like to thank you all for joining us on this episode of Pillars of Franchising. A special shout out and thank you to Chris Jonas with Elite Window Cleaning up in Canada. And welcome, Sparkle Squad, the U.S. We can't wait to help help you grow and watch you grow. And I'd like to thank our million-dollar mentors, Jerry Aker. Akers, I'm sorry, Jerry. Um, Ray Pillar, Karen Kimsey Ford, whose birthday it is today, and a welcome back from her wedding, Laura Liss, our franchise lawyer. I am Kristen Chelmessi, your fourth million dollar mentor, and a huge shout out to Fred McMurray, our producer. The show wouldn't go on without him. And we hope you all join us again next week at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, wherever you get your podcast. And remember, the dream starts here. Have a great week. Aww.